Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to another episode <laughs> of the Breakdown Podcast. Hello, hello. Hi. We're here again. My name is Eric B. My name is Beans. And we're back here for another one. You know, you know, it's been a while. It's been a while, but we have to jump off. <laughs> I know they tired of us saying that. Y'all keep saying it's been a while. You can back up a month. But, um... Yeah, we're back again, and so we're going to get this. This is, our first, is this our first episode of the new year. First episode of the new year, yes, Good sir. Child, not, not, coming back, not coming back in February. <laughs> Look, okay, sometimes people need to come in, and we need to just come in and regroup in the new year, so we back. Our okay. new year starts with Black History Month. February Always. <laughs> it's the beginning of our new year, okay? So we do want to, um, we want to say that. It is the beginning of Black History Month, and we will have several topics coming up linked to um, Black History. Yes. And honoring our brothers and sisters out here. But um, take some time and, and learn. Learn a little something about your people. Learn some things. Learn and, some things. You know, just in addition to here, this, I think that we should do like a Black History figure of, you know, of the of the episode. Okay, I, I like, like that. Black history figure of the episode. Okay, come on now, give us a Eon, black history figure. Give us a black history figure, Eon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my black history figure of the episode is George Washington Carver. Yes, okay now. And I chose him because there's a lot of like misinformation around him. Like, you know, of course we live in this country, so, you know, we don't get very much from some black folks. But... You know, I was always taught about the peanut, right? Like, they tell us, like, oh, George Washington Carver, he invented the peanut, he invented right. the peanut butter. Which, I, even as a kid, I was like, did he invent the peanut? <laughs> um, don't know about that. Um, but what we do not know, what a lot of people are not taught about George Washington Carver, is that he was an agricultural scientist and an inventor mm. who promoted alternative crops to alternative crops to cotton and different methods to prevent soil depletion. So he was actually one of the most important scientists um, of the early 20th century because he actually is really credited with revolutionizing the way that agriculture and soil depletion is done in the South. And he actually drastic, some of his um, methods actually saved the Southern economy from ruin. So yes, he was actually one of, he's like a really, really big scientist of the early 20th century. He was also a professor at Tuskegee Institute. Everybody knows um, about the Tuskegee mm-hmm. um, people. And so he developed different types of techniques that improved different types of soil so that you could keep replant, um, replanting cotton. So there was an issue going on where like you couldn't, they were ruining the, the earth because they were replanting cotton over and over and over. Okay. You Eventually you deplete the soil. The soil won't produce anymore. Okay. And so he came out with some new agricultural techniques that changed that. Oh, I and didn't so know that. So that soil was able to keep the cotton was able to be produced. So he's actually one of the most important scientists of our time, actually. Um, and he definitely, like I said, he saved the Southern economy from economic ruin. So mm. I think it's a little, and he, and yes, he did do things with the peanut. He did some amazing things with the peanut, but it wasn't just like, everybody just, oh, you know, peanut butter. But he actually found like a thousand new ways um, to utilize the peanut in scientific experimentation. So he's actually one of the most important scientists we have. And I think it's very sad that his legacy is just reduced to the peanut butter, the peanut butter yes, yeah so you know well, brother george washington carver brother george learn more about brother george i came across a twitter thread and made me do a deep dive on him and i was like okay like i found some really important things about him so he's a big deal I think, well, George Washington Carver, y'all. Get into it. See, a lot of those, I did not know that either. And I, I think know. we oftentimes get, our figures oftentimes get, like, depleted to these, like, okay, these one-sentence yeah. one facts that yeah. we end up knowing about them. Yeah. And I think, like, going into that is just so important considering now. Yeah. You know, the, the fight for, like, black history and, like, equitable history in schools and, like, this is what they want the foundation to be. They really don't want you to know any more exactly. about them except for, like, you know, Martin Luther King, I had a dream. Right. Or like George Washington, the peanut, Rosa Parks in the front of them. They yeah. want you to have those very simple, basic facts yep. that don't get into like the true grit of like what the other things that these people really did and got into and like the true history behind um, what inspired them and what continued to inspire them beyond the basic things that we know. Yeah. So I like that. I like label everything is just, you know, woke. Mm. Um, I think that we need to actually do our own research and figure out what's going on. Yeah, and they just—they're they, much. These figures are larger. They're they're important figures in our history for a reason, and we have to be careful letting the oppressors tell the story of our people. Mm. To be about 
the more important facts. Mm, and that part. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right now. Um, thank you for that that history fact. We'll look You're forward welcome. to more. I don't have any, but yes, I will have. I will have. I have time. plenty. Okay. I know you. I know you. Do. No, okay. I it's, And it's coming, y'all. <laughs> Every week. I said, let me do my research on this. <laughs> Georgie. Okay. <laughs> All right, y'all. Um, so let's get into our icebreaker for today. Um, so today's icebreaker question. I was watching The View. And <laughs> my girl, you know what is really good that the like lady. They stepped it up a little bit. Yeah, so they got I was, you know, I was they got rid of Megan McCain and it kind of was like okay. And so Whoopi was on there, and you know old school Whoopi, she has her viewpoints on like you know <laughs> how she figures society is and what you should do, and sometimes she's on point, and sometimes you like Whoopi girl. Yeah, no, Auntie Whoopi. Auntie Whoopi. She she definitely Auntie Whoopi. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she was talking about, they were having a discussion about, can you be friends with your children? Um, and this goes from like, you know, when they're like, I guess when they're young kids over to adulthood. And she was basically saying that, no, like she doesn't believe any parent can actually be a friend with their child. And I guess she that, especially when you're younger, because yeah. you kind of have to have that, that boundary. boundary, right? Because yeah. when you have to reinforce rules or boundaries and stuff like that, if you're their friend, it's going to be harder to do that. And she said, girl, she said even like getting older, she still does not believe that Damn. it's possible. <laughs> I think nowadays she's just like, you know, because her, her daughter's like older and mature. Yeah. She's like, now we can have a connection. But she says, you know, still there's that boundary of like yeah, yeah. the parent and child. So my question is, do you believe that you can actually be friends with your parents? And if you do, then like what age would that start? Um, yeah, so I saw that too, and I was kind of like, mm, somebody want your job. I I disagree. I, I agree and I disagree with it that way. So I think that yes, when you are younger. So I think that when kids are younger, no. I think that when they're in their formative ages, like adolescence, teenagers, um, even sometimes really early adulthood, I don't necessarily think they can be friends. I mm-hmm. think that they can have more of a I do think that it's possible to have an open and honest relationship with your kids and mm-hmm. be transparent with your kids. Yes. But I don't necessarily think that you can be friends with them at that age because okay. there does need to be um I think there needs to be a line that like I think that you can be friendly with them without being a friend, if that makes sense. Like I think your kids mm-hmm. need to have like a healthy respect for you. Yeah. I don't think your kids need to fear you, but I do think your kids need to have like a clear understanding, like, oh yeah, I'm not one of your little friends. Like yes. but I think that once your child I would say that once your child is probably 21 and up, mm. that you absolutely can have a friendship with them. Um, I say that because I have a like my mother and I are very close. Like I consider my mom one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, we literally talk about everything, like literally everything. We talk about literally everything. We talk about finances, we talk about relationships, we talk about friendships, we talk about words, we talk about um, she talks to me about her marriage. I talk to her about my relationships. And we've even had conversations about like sex stuff. And even though I was like initially very uncomfortable with that. Right. Um, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more comfortable having those conversations with her and just okay. being very open and transparent with her. So I do think that I have there there is a privilege in that. Like my mom and I have that relationship, but my mom and I also worked at that friendship too. Yes. Um I still yes, respect I her and I still see her as my mother and I still would never like there's certain things that I wouldn't say to her because she is my mom. Mm-hmm. But even when I give her advice, I, I try to like, I still come from her. Like I give her advice as I would a friend, but maybe in a more respectful tone than I would like my, one of my friends. Your home girls, yeah. Something, yeah. Like I'll be like, mm, I don't know about that girl. Like, <laughs> yeah. But we, I think we do have a genuine friendship, but I, we travel together. Like I truly consider my mom one of my best friends. So I think you can absolutely be friends with your, with your children. But I think that there needs to be a mutual respect there for that to happen. And I True. think a lot of parents lack that with their kids. Yeah. They they don't respect their kids as a friend. Yes. So I think that may be why Whoopi maybe feels that way. I, I, that's true. I think there sometimes there is that lack of respect. I think sometimes it comes down to our def, definitions of friendship also. <laughs> yeah, because I think for me when I was younger... Um, I didn't see my parents as friends, right? And they clearly said that boundary, but there there was a level of communication there. And we laughed and we joked and we had a good time, you know, sometimes. But <laughs> I think part of it was like, I do think sometimes the communication needs to be a bit more open than we restrict it, especially in the black community. Mm-hmm. That, that barrier of like, 
Yes. I'm the parent, don't talk to me about this, blah, blah, blah. If you start that too early, then that leads into problems in your adult relationship. Absolutely. And so that's kind of what happened in like my relationship kind of with my father. It was like more, I didn't feel open enough to discuss a lot of things <clears throat> that maybe if we had had those discussions and been more open and been more accepting and been more like, hey, let's just, let's just be real about everything that's going on at a certain age, then that would have led into me feeling more comfortable yeah, once adult, I got into a yeah. teenager in high school and now as an adult maybe there wouldn't be this friction like because I still feel that barrier and I think it's hard to let go of that to transfer that even as to adults adult to adult you still feel like you know this is still my this is my dad and like I can't completely open up and I can't completely be myself even though I want to you know I just think yeah. it's a barrier and so like I said, it, it, it de- depends on your definition of friendships because we all have different types of friendships mm-hmm. too. And it don't just got to be your parent. It could be anyone. Like some friends I relate to in this way and some friends I relate to in that way and some friends I tell different things to. Yeah, it could be like a surface friend. Or it could be a surface friend. friend. Yeah, and then I think we, you have to get into like also what about like um, foster parents? What about like step parents? And what does that look like as what far as the relationship like, yeah, between yeah. the child? Because sometimes that's where you need to start with in certain ways with the kids if yeah. you're in those step relationships i only say that because it's like there might be like he ain't my real dad or him yeah. and so if you try to jump into that role like i'm the parent yeah. first without establishing something else it may be off-putting like like i'm not trying to feel you like that like stop trying to be my parent i have a parent especially if the other parent is still in the picture i think that's a, I think you know that's a very good point too because i feel like so I feel like working in education is like that too, right? Like mm. you have to come in. So from my experience, whenever I tried to come in as a friend, it didn't work. Mm. I would have issues establishing boundaries and setting like expectations. So originally when I would come in, like whether I was doing literacy support um, or tutoring or, you know, um, I had like after school program classes, things like that, I always would have to come in more like a little bit more firm and mm. then that would evolve into more me being like the cool teacher okay. versus me coming in and being like the friendly one. So I feel like it would be probably a little bit similar if I were like a step parent or something. Like you kind of got to come in like, you know, don't come in with no shit. But like eventually <laughs> that evolves into a friendship. But then I don't know. I think you're, I think you're right. I don't know because I didn't have that situation with my stepmom. Like she came in very much like, you know, hey, like, you know, I'm, you know, you know, you're, you know, your father's woman or whatever, but like, yeah. like I knew there were rules and boundaries, yeah. right? But she was also very friendly and very cool. And then like, once I got to like high school age, I would say there were times where I viewed her as more of a friend than I would say my mom, because I could actually, because I think cause she wasn't my mom, I felt more comfortable telling her certain things yeah. versus telling my parents. And then, then like, as we got older, like my mom and our, our relationship became more of a friendship, our relationship grew very much. And then like me and my stepmom relationship grew as well as well. So of course, like I see her as a friend as well too. Like I consider her like a good friend of mine too. So I can talk to her about all that things too. So I think, I definitely think you're right. I think it depends on the respect level that y'all have for each other. And I I think it really does depend on, like you said, the communication that y'all have with each other when they're younger. Yeah. Um, Cause even when I was a kid, like my mom was, I would say more the disciplinarian of the mm-hmm. two. Like my dad was always like, let's talk about it. My mom yeah. was like, get the belt and try it. Yeah. Um, but I want to say by the time I was in like high school, that dynamic had very drastically changed. She wasn't like that when I was in high school. She was more open to like talking and like, well, why did you feel like this? Like what, what's going on with you? And I think because that dynamic changed when I was in high school, by the time I was grown, I felt more comfortable becoming building a friendship with her yeah but i think that had she been like hard nosed with me all the way all through, the way yeah. i probably wouldn't have once i became an adult i probably would have felt the same way like oh i probably don't feel comfortable talking like that so i i do think that that's true i think that a lot of parents they feel like they cannot build friendships with their kids because they don't see their kids as humans they still see their kids as their kids yeah even when they grow Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a little... That is the issue, and I think that's the problem. I think I that makes a difference, yeah. When you change that dynamic, like you said, your mom was able to shift. Yeah. And I think Some in certain relationships, they can't yeah. shift. They they still see you as that five yeah. or six-year-old It took like, all it the took way my up. dad a long time to, for the R relationship to shift. It took mm-hmm. him a long time. I think I was probably, like, mid to late 20s before my dad. I, I mean, maybe he saw it differently. I didn't see it that way. Yeah. I, I was probably in my mid to late 20s. I feel like... And my dad and I are very close, but I feel like before he stopped seeing me, it's like... 
little girl and more like, okay, she's turning into like a young woman. I can mm-hmm. talk to her differently. Yeah. Um, whereas I think with my mama, by the time I was like 18, 19, she came to visit me in college. She saw how drastic, like how much more I had grown mm-hmm. to me in a way. So she was able to, I think, see me in a different way earlier, I think, than my dad was probably. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that's just parenting. I think parents just have a hard time seeing and I think my parents feel, you know, as close as I am to them in our friendship. I know that every now and then they'll just look at me like, oh, like, you're still this little girl. Mm-hmm. And of course, because I'll be like, I'm, I'm still your little baby. Like, mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah, I think it I think it really is a level of like respect and how you view your children. Because I've heard people say that too. Like, I've heard grown people say that. Like, older people older than me will be yeah. like, oh, yeah, I can't talk to my mom. I can't talk to my dad. And I'd be like, damn, like, you <laughs> like 45 happened, years old. Right. Like, yeah. You got grandkids of your own and you, and you still and like, you still you can't, can't have that conversation. Like, that that shit is super real. It happens. Yeah. Like, like, and I don't think that's the fault of the child. I think the No, I don't think it's the fault. But I would say on my end, I'm not going to put it completely on my dad because mm-hmm. I do feel like there is a certain point, especially when, now that I'm an adult and I'm grown, how much effort am I actually putting in Absolutely. to change that? Change that. You yeah. know, you got to put some effort in too. But it works both ways and I think it's work it's work especially if it's been messed up from it's the beginning sure. it's, it's definitely work. work so I'm just like but I do think you can be friends I do think you can have those conversations and at some point you should be for you should be friendly mm, you should be. at least with your kids at some point you just don't want to be complete disciplinarian forever but I just thought that was interesting I think there's also age yeah, age gaps say, and I like generations I, said, I think there's a generational gap with that mm-hmm. We'll be interested from a different generation than we are. Right, yeah. And, you know, she's, I don't know, she's, she might be older than our parents. I don't know. I think Ruby's like in her 70s. Is Ruby that old? Yeah. That might be a difference too. <laughs> I definitely think Whoopi is in her. My parents are very fresh sixty. Like yeah, mine too. So I think so that I'm makes, like, that's a that's a generation gap for sure, for sure. Yeah. I think that generation they don't believe in that. So mm-hmm. like my mother and my grandmother, they didn't become. I would say friends until my mama was wrong, probably about my age. Oh, I'm, her, I was wrong. Whoopi is 68. That's what I thought. I mean, that's never 70. That's, that's, yeah. still, an gap, yeah, that's still an age gap, though. Yeah, still age gap. My mom so like that's, 62. That's, a, yeah, that's an age gap, yeah. Um, so that makes sense then. So her her generation, they just didn't believe in that. Mm, they don't believe so like, friends with your kids. Right. Like yeah. my grandmother and my great grandmother, they were not friends. <laughs> like, up until the day my great grandma passed, my grandmother was her child. That was her child. Like, she. They understood each other, but mm. they weren't friends at all. Like mm. my mother and her mother, I think are a lot more friendly than my grandmother was for her grandmother. Mm. And my mother and my and me and my mother are friends in a way that I don't think my mother and her grandmother and my grandmother were. And you know what I think is weird? I think it's it's very different the dynamic between sometimes. Yeah, sometimes between kids and parents and grandkids yeah. and parents. Oh, I yeah. think I, I would be, yeah, I'd be like, my, me and my grandma, we can yeah. chop, chop it up and have anything. fun and everything, but, like, I think it's different you between, grandma's baby. It's different. but I, I do think that maybe there is also, like, this shift in mindset, like, well, they're my kid, but they're not, Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because you're a grandchild, you're not yeah. there, like, you know, they, they don't, they don't feel like they have to discipline you or something like that, it's like why they baby you versus your parents, like, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's definitely different, but I do think that the generational divide makes a difference, because, Especially when you're a black, a black older person, older black women, they don't be going for that. <laughs> like, mm. So when I heard it and I saw a lot of people talk about it, I wasn't that surprised that Whoopi said that. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I thought she was already 72. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. She's yeah. an older black woman, she's not going for that. She's not going for that. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Yeah. And then, you know, it also makes a difference to the type of family that structure and dynamics that you have. Mm-hmm. I think once you start bringing in race and class and things like that into it. Because I think you, that's true. Because I was thinking about like what happens when you also hear these stories of like single parent households mm-hmm. when the mother and the son and all of a sudden the, the son yeah. is seen as like the man, the man of the, the house, house. Yeah. and so he starts that Versus relationship when you is have different. a daddy in the house mm-hmm. the, the relationships tend to be a little different the mother yeah. doesn't see her son as her man quote mm-hmm. unquote she sees her son as her son because like, she has someone that, feeling that she doesn't need to feel right. like feeling feel that, that the role next phase. I yeah. think that might have been part of a large part of why my mother and I were able to have relationships that we were because like she was, you know, my parents weren't together, but my, there was always a second parent there to help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when my dad was a single dad, he knew my mom was there and then my stepmom was there. My mom was a single mom, but she knew that my dad was there and my stepmom was there. So it's like, they were able to just be the parent. We And we were able to just be kids. We didn't mm-hmm. have to, I think there were things that matured us a lot earlier, but that wasn't one of them. Yeah. Just having to be adults was not one of them. We were very much able to be kids. 
Mm. Um, and I think that make a difference too. It does, yeah. Versus the way my mom grew up, she did not have that luxury. So I think that also would explain, you know, why her and my grandmother, it took them a little longer to become friends. I yeah. think that might have been my so I think, yeah. And especially if, like, I feel like the last thing I'll say on this, I think that, especially if you have, like, I've, I've known situations where it's been a big household. You have the older sibling who's all of a sudden raising, helping like a parent, act like a parent to the younger kids. kids. So then it's harder for them. I don't know. I would feel like it would be harder for them to accept the idea of like you sitting here trying to tell me what to do and be a and parent, and I'm sitting here raising these kids. kids. Like they gonna feel more on an equal level. You know what I'm saying? I think. I think that's very true. <laughs> that kind of happens. And sometimes. I've seen that dynamic play out. So I, I absolutely think that's true. So I'm a big believer in letting kids be kids, child. I understand it's hard. I understand we all got our own situation. But let them babies be babies. Let the baby. Let the bitch read. Let the bitch she read. She just want to read. Let the baby play Barbie. You know, like, I don't, right. I don't, me personally, and I understand people have different situations. Like, I used to babysit my brother, and my brother used to babysit me, mm-hmm. But, like, not for extended periods of time. Yeah. And it was always very clear that, like, you are the child here. Yeah. And you have a daddy. You have a mommy. Like, it's, you are not a grown-up. And I see other people in my life and in my work, I see that a lot in my work too. Yeah. I see a lot of kids who grow up and they have a different relationship with their parents than I did and that is why because they're identified at such a young age. Yes. And they don't understand how to turn that off when they get to school. That's when so they get true. To work. And I think the parents and then when they do become adults, the parents have become they've gotten used to this dynamic and now the kid is like chafing a little bit to become mm. their own person yeah and there might be a lot of resentment there too like especially if the younger kid was able to do certain things that the older kid wasn't mm, i true. think there's resentment there in that space too so i think they're i'm just very big on like you know let the kids be kids as long as they can especially if they black kids this world of grown is gonna make them grown before they're ready anyway, anyway. and i think yeah. and i also think on top of that i think if you are, because like you mentioned, there are yeah. different dynamics, and sometimes that's just the case. You need to help, yeah, like you need, you need to help. help. But I think also parents like show gratitude to your kids for doing that, and Absolutely. let them know like, hey, I really appreciate you. You helped me out with your little brother, your little yeah. sister, you know. And as your mom, like I just want you to know, like yeah. show them that acknowledge, what, acknowledge they're what they're doing, and show them that you're still their mom. Yeah. You still love them, and you're still going to support them, and you appreciate what they're doing. This is not something they have to do and give them or breaks. should be doing they and give them breaks. Do that every yeah. Old, like you can't go, if she can't go. You can't like that's. I don't think that's. Yeah, fair. I don't like that either. Like, I'm like not. That. Don't 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 drag them. You have these damn kids. Like don't make me sit here watching. Like <laughs> give them a break. Like. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, I think what it would be, I think it's just a different situation. Mm. I think it's just a different situation. What we like, said, don't bring them kids. Well, we still, I mean, because there's still, like, I hear people say, I've heard people say, you know, older women, older black women in particular, like at work and environments at work, and they're like, you know, my kids, I'm not telling me nothing like that. My kids, I'm not telling me like that. I just be sitting there like, I can't relate. Cause me and my mom talk like everything, right? Like, so I don't even know what to say. And that's why your situation. kids is out in the streets, <laughs> and that's why jumping out the well, window, right. doing all kind of crazy shit. That's why kids in my office telling me all kind of shit, and they can't tell you. So I don't. I just be sitting there. I don't say nothing when I hear things like that. I'm like, mm. child, I got I got clients hitting me up right now asking me to help them with shit because they scared to talk to their parents. I think it's sad that you are a grown person and you cannot have a friendship of some kind with your with your parent. I think that's just very sad. Like, you a grown woman and you still can't talk to your parent. I mean, I don't. I understand you want to talk to your child about sex or whatever, but like. Your child should be able to talk to you about certain things. Like, mm-hmm. you a grown ass woman, you shouldn't have to go to WebMD to ask questions about your <laughs> You should be able to call your mama and ask that's, her. That's real true. And I think that that happens a lot because a lot of people are like, we don't, you know, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. Like, you got grandkids. Like, come on now. I, that's one of the things I do appreciate with my dad, though, because um, <laughs> <laughs> I did, like, as. as much as I can say he was strict that we have our issues, like, you know, I have my times when, you know, I have my little sexual stuff going on. Yeah. And, like, he wasn't judgmental about it. He wasn't like, you shouldn't have did this, you shouldn't yeah. have did it. It was like, you know what? It happens. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I like just tell game. me, like, I, I get yeah. it. He was real. I really appreciate that because I felt so, like, shameful and, like, I can't mm-hmm. talk. I shouldn't say anything. And he was just very much like, I get it. We go through stuff, but here's how I can help you. And it was very yeah. much like, Man to man, but parent to parent at the same time. I think that's what we gotta. And that's a form of friendship. So it's, yeah. a, it's a okay. That's a, that's a form. <laughs> and then a small uh-huh. form. Okay, like girl. Form. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna take a little break. We'll come right back. Yeah. And we're back. Ooh. 
Mm, welcome back, y'all. Jump right back in. Jump right back in it. Okay, so let's get into a quick topic for today. So I wanted to talk about some impactful issues um, mm. I saw in the news. So the first one is a story that I saw regarding um, racism, kids experiencing racism and their um, issues that they're having with PTSD from experiencing racism at such a very, very young age. Oh, you know, I read that completely wrong. Okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's how did no, you no. read it? I read that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, bitch, um, I read that completely wrong. I thought you were saying that kids were being racist because they have PTSD. Oh, no, girl. <laughs> I thought you meant like the PTSD is fueling it's the racism. the racism. I was like, no, I wait a minute. No. No, this you is... Went too far. This story okay. is about it's, um, I think it, that's very true. NBC News discusses on it's actually online racism. So like yeah, our yeah. new generation and how much they deal with online Everything bullying and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Racism is linked to high it's actually a study that was done and it's linked to higher PTSD symptoms of black youth um, who experience racism. Okay. Um, according to the study published Wednesday in the journal um, of psychiatry, drama psychiatry, black children and teens who experience racial discrimination online may develop symptoms related to the post-traumatic stress disorder. Damn. Those symptoms the researchers found were also potentially linked to suicidal thoughts. Um, the suicide rates for black youth have risen over the past two decades. Um, a 2023 report from John Hopkins um, School of Public Health found from 2007 to 2020, the suicide rate in black children and teens aged 10 to 17 increased 144% the fastest increase compared to their racial and ethnic group. Damn. The researchers suspected that online racism may play a role. Um, we know that cyberbullying, uh, this is a quote, we know that cyberbullying is an issue for all kiddos, but in particularly for our black youth, cyberbullying is, is in the form of online racial discrimination, and it's a really big issue. Um, the new study included data from 525 black children and teens ages 11 to 19. Um, in response to the online racism, the children and teens in the study reported several PTSD symptoms, including feeling um, guarded and isolated, having intrusive thoughts that won't go away, and uncontrollable distress. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to link this because we both work in kind of a field where we work yeah. with, like, kids with trauma. And it's just really sad. And I've never really thought about it in terms of this new generation yeah. and how much... because. There is the concept that um, kids who experience trauma um, stay at a level of trauma, yeah. post-trauma, and we live in a constant live state a of trauma. State. Yeah, I mean, uh, you live in it. You live in it. But now I think, and we've done that for like ever, but I think... Yeah, I'm like, we live in this, in this country, so... Consider it being hyper now because you can't get away from it. There, would, there was a point when like, if I was going to bully that school or something was happening, yeah. at least I could go home and it wouldn't be in my face. And now the idea that you know, I'm opening my phone and like um, all the apps are on there and people can just contact me any kind of way and I'm it's, I'm bombarded all the time with it 24 seven and now these kids are in this state and um, suicide rates are going up. So I think that's just really traumatic and horrible yeah. to think about. And like, we are dealing with this in our communities and it can just show how much it leads to um, trauma as adults. Because I want to link this to the story of um, Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey. Yeah. And so she was the professor at the um, Missouri's Lincoln University who ended up committing suicide um, because she felt like she was being bullied and attacked by um, staff at that school and just in general. And she wasn't supported by the staff at that school. And so... Um, <laughs> I mean, and it was, yeah, I just, yeah, and linking so that to this, such a, such a preventative thing. And it's like, this is a professional black woman, educated black woman who made it to a specific level in her career and life. And you sometimes think, okay, these women reached this level. She won't have this kind of trauma, but still dealing with still that. Dealing with you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it never turned, it's somebody that never turned off. It doesn't. And so I don't know, what are your thoughts on just like this trauma? I think it's absolutely true. I so I remember when I was younger, and I remember I read this article. This was a hell long ago. Oof, so long ago. Two thousand eight, um, which is crazy. Not two thousand eight. Right? Mean a long time ago. Like, it was. That's, that's <laughs> a long time. Ago, which is crazy. To think that about is it. crazy. Um, and I remember because I was in college, and I remember it was very impactful to me. And they were talking about how young black kids. At the time, I was living in Baltimore. They were talking about how young black kids and that live in inner cities and in the hood have PTSD. 
mm-hmm. living in these environments, right? Because we're they're surrounded by gang violence and gun violence and uh, police brutality. You know, they're and you know the violence of poverty and things like that. Yeah. Um. And so it talked about how you know the kids are constantly living in a state of trauma, blah blah blah. And I remember it was very triggering for me because I I lost a, a brother to gun violence and you know living in a poverty stricken area and blah blah the violence certification. I experienced all that. Um, and I remember thinking, God, that's very true. I never thought about it that way, right? We tend to think of PTSD as very simple to like, you know, people in um, like war-torn areas. Mm-hmm. And we people don't tend to think of that. We don't tend to think of inner city communities that experience high rates of violence in the same way. Um, and so it was like, yeah, you know, these kids carry around this trauma and this PTSD um, and they carry it with them even when they leave these spaces, right? And I was like, I remember thinking, damn, that's very true. Like I thought about that too. And to hear that connected to the internet, I think is absolutely true. Like, I think we, and I'm a little younger than you, so maybe my experience may be a little different, but like. You tried it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it like that. I'm just saying. Um, so I think that we were like on the tail end, right? Like we kind of, I like to think of us as like the best generation, right? Because we grew up without the internet, mm-hmm. but also very much with the internet, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So as like, I would say for our formative years, there was no internet like that. Like you had to like use your parents' big computer yeah. at home and dial up and all that. So we grew up with that. So the internet used to be a place. Yeah. Like the internet lived in your house and it was a place that you could get off two hours after school and then you got off of it, right? Mm-hmm. But once we got to, I would say, college age, the internet was more accessible mm-hmm. because you have phones that use the internet and then you can like go on social media sites and social media was just starting, it was kind of budding. So, like, no, we didn't grow up in the internet age, but we did, right? We saw it from, we saw it from when it was nothing to what it is now. Yeah. So, I think this, I would say, the younger millennials have a really good grasp on the internet in a way that like Gen Z probably doesn't because we've seen what life was before it. Yeah. So I think it is very interesting as an adult working in the field that I work in. And I think you can probably agree to this. Like mm-hmm. you said, when we were younger, if you were being bullied or people were spreading rumors and talking about you, it lived at your school. Yeah. Or in your neighborhood. If you moved that was kind of the end of it. Like, I remember right. back in the day, parents being like, okay, I'm a senior school. Because that was, that was the answer to those things. Like, yeah. we'll just we'll move you to you another area. Yeah. We'll, we'll, you go live with your grandma, we'll move you down south. But that doesn't happen now. And so, as somebody who was in college, I, and yes, I make myself. I was in college when Facebook, back when Facebook, you had to have a college I had an email mm-hmm. just to have Facebook. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's the real, the real OGs. Um, and I was grown, and I was in college when, when, Twitter started and I remember being um a young black person on Twitter and let me tell you it was not for the week honey like you <laughs> had to, to be on Twitter in like 2009 2010 look you, you it was tough and to be a black girl on Twitter in 2009 2010 mm-hmm. you was fighting you was fighting for your life every day like it right. was very very tough and, and ironically I would say, and I'm sure that more other black women can relate to this, and um, black people in general, or black women in particular, can relate to this. It was a like a hellscape if you were a black girl on Twitter, like that was not like unambiguously black. Like, and it wasn't coming from white folks. It oh, wasn't just coming from white folks. That's it was true, coming from yeah. black people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say like dark skinned black girls on social media got it 10 times worse than anybody else. Mm. Um, often from other black people, mostly black men. Um, we got it really awful from the white people because there was like now it was this sense of anim- anonymity there. Yeah, it wasn't like before on Facebook where it was like, oh, I can I can look you up, I know who you are. True. But Twitter was not like that. Twitter yeah. kind of took that away. It really so is emboldening people to be saying do whatever they want to do. And you can't find if it. you were a young person that played video games when they oh started my God. that, yes, and you were a black person on a video game because I remember my younger brother and I remember. Like hearing him, he would be on his earphones, and I could hear like, the stuff that they were saying to him. Mm-hmm. It was a kid, like he we're 10 years apart, so he was a little kid at the time. Yeah. And I'm hearing grown people calling him monkeys and niggers, and, and, and oh, fucking nigger, like, and he just playing a video game. Mm. So, and and these are grown people, they they knew he was a kid, they didn't care, they just knew he was a little black kid, like, yeah. oh, I can tell you're a nigger by your boy, like. And he grew up in that, right? And so for him, he didn't see it the way I did. He just like, oh, whatever, that's just 
how it is when you play GTA or that's just how it is when you play whatever. But because I had experienced like before that, yeah. for me, it was really shocking. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. This is like a level of racism I ain't never had, like heard before. So because we had that, I feel like because we had that experience of seeing what life was before that and then seeing what it became, I think that we have a different level of when we look at it. They, uh, yeah. I think a lot of young people don't see it as traumatic, mm-hmm. but they feel it as traumatic. Mm-hmm. No, it does. I think going along those lines, I agree. Because I remember, I can vividly remember when Facebook came out. Facebook mm-hmm. came out when I was just starting college or whatever, I guess. Yeah, so, I was still in high school. Yeah, so and I remember specifically somebody was like, "Have you? Uh, are you on Facebook? I was like, child, what is that? And yeah. so it was like this conversation. And so just this reality of understanding, like, and like you said, it's a, we know what it was like before. And I think it's really a disassociation from reality at this mm-hmm. point. Because people just don't have the empathy anymore. They're like yeah. saying it online and they they may hear people are upset and sad, but they're like, they're not seeing it. It's not in your face. Yeah. So it's not really true. It's not real. It's yeah. not real and they don't care. And now it's to the point to where the empathy is so gone. It's like, well, go ahead. If you are suicidal, I believe, you know, there used to be a time when that was that taken was seriously yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of like, okay, we need to stop this. And now it's like, Go ahead and kill you. Go ahead and unlive unali- yourself, yeah, right? And I it's saw, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And it's like nobody cares about the value of life because they don't see it, like you said, as as real reality. And yeah. I also think that, like, like I said, whenever I mean, this is just the nature of human nature, unfortunately, in the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Whenever something is bad for white folks, it's always ten times worse for the black folks. Mm, that part. And so I remember when that little girl—I don't remember baby's name—but when that little girl committed suicide because she was being cyberbullied so badly at her school, mm. um, little white girl—I can't remember her baby's name—but she. This was like a big story back in the day, and I remember she committed suicide. I remember this was when this conversation first came up about online cyberbullying and how dangerous it was, and how you couldn't turn it off, and how you know it became a thing. And I remember thinking. You know, God, that was really, really sad. But I also remember thinking, damn, how many little black girls probably committed suicide? Mm. Or how many little black girls probably are still walking around with the trauma of being called or see, of seeing those memes? About, I remember like these little memes going around of like, this is what a black girl pussy looked like. This is what black girls oh. look like. This oh is what, God. yeah, it was horrible. It was like really crazy fucked up shit. And I remember seeing people laughing at it, and it was other black folks laughing at it, and other black folks sharing it. Mm. And I remember thinking, like, damn, like, if you're a teenage girl and you're still trying to figure yourself out, imagine what that looks like for you. Imagine what that does for you. Like, we saw that type of shit when we were younger, of course. Everybody, I mean, people can say they don't want to, but we saw colorism. We saw it. And we knew the dark skin people in our class got it worse than everybody else. We knew that. But I think seeing it online and, and being seeing that being shared and liked by tens of thousands of people is a whole nother is a monster. whole nother yeah. monster because then you start to really be like, damn, mm-hmm. this ain't even just the two three kids in my class that's saying this. Right, this is the world thinks this, and what does that do to your sense of self? What does that do to your sense of self esteem? Mm-hmm. What does that do to your sense of self worth? And like, I think going to the story like you said about this woman. Um, Antoinette, um, Antoinette Bonnie. I think it also people also don't like to tell the truth about this, and this is something that I realized very quickly when I went into education, is that academia is very, 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 very racist. And academia, mm-hmm. especially yes. higher education academia, I would argue the higher you get when you get to academics, the more racist and the more um, difficult it is to call things like this out. And that's what killed me about this story because I. I also confused this university with mm-hmm. Lincoln in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, well, this isn't historically black one, but this is also historically black college. And mm-hmm. the, she was dealing with this racism. They're, they had a white yeah. president white at this president historically Arthur, black yeah. president at this historically black college who was not listening yeah. to this black and who, woman. And who kept his job. After and who kept morning. his yeah. job. And she actually, um, I, she had actually applied to get FMLA because she was having like yeah, these, um, so much so many mental issues and they were denying her this. So it's just like, not only, you would think, you would think, I'm going now, I'm at a historical back, I'm, I'm going to get this support from this place because this is why I'm here and and you're still not getting the support. You're still very much getting this racism at a place that's supposed to be meant to, to support you, you know, a safe space for you. And that's what I'm saying. People don't really acknowledge it. People don't really want to call this out, but it's one of the main reasons why I decided not to go into education, like not to go into teaching and 
it was one of the big reasons why I was like unsure about doing the PhD track and everything because mm. I've heard so many conversations from black women in particular, um, but black people in general at every level people who I know somebody a young black man who went to Harvard he's a really young guy he was telling me his experiences with that um and the level of racism and just really disgusting vitriol he got just for being a black graduate student at Harvard you know it didn't matter the work that he did to get there it didn't matter the work that he was doing there that he was succeeding there it didn't matter but he was black and so he was getting just really like vicious backlash just for being a student and this ain't in like 20 you know oh 2001 this right. is like this is like 2021 like so this is not you know i've, I've talked to black women who have been in higher levels they've been in phd programs i talked to a black guy who worked for me for probation who um had gotten his doctorate and he was going to a pwi and he was going like he would tell me about how what he went through in the 90s mm. so it's just like it don't stop and right. I think that because the internet is a source, a space where you can be an, an anonymous, hateful person without repercussions, people really use that. They lean into that. And I think that there is always this expectation on Black people in particular, where we are just expected to just take it. Right. Um, and I think that we see that play out with our kids. And now we've seen it play out in this situation with Antoinette. And it's just really awful because even when she passed, I, I was reading the comments on that story and people were like, Oh, it's just online. Turn your computer off. Oh, girl, you a whole college professor. I cannot oh, stand just, that idea. Like, just walk away yeah. from your, that. It, that's not realistic in the world that we live in today. The people who say that, I feel like, are people who probably just don't work because it's just un, there is before. Like I said, the internet used to be a place that you went to. Them days are gone. The yeah. internet is our life. Everything right. in my house runs on the internet now. Yeah, like so there is no just oh turning off your phone. Oh, I'm just gonna go on social media. It's not just social media. It's on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It's on your school's university page. It's on your, when the professors do their evaluation sheets, it's on there. Like there is no turning it off. And if you're being harassed for something that you cannot change, like your gender or your race or your sexuality or things like that, you can't just walk away from it because that's who you are fundamentally as a person. Right. So we yeah. built our society so heavily around now we're so heavily like mm -hmm. functioned by the internet and by this web that we cannot, you can't just like yeah, get away off. from it. Like even yeah. if you do turn it off, even if you do um, switch your accounts, okay, who's to say that everybody else is still watching it? Everything else you do in the world is still going to be influenced by this. And mm -hmm. at some point that's gonna get back to you no matter how much you try to stay away from it. And I also feel like parents need to start younger with this. Cause I do believe, like you mm -hmm. said, they often feel like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, and I think it's from that mindset, like we discussed before, we remember the time when she was yeah. going on in schools and people were actually getting like physically attacked and physically mm -hmm. beat up. So there's that delineation between like, oh, you're not physically, nothing, yeah. you know, you're not, in harm's way. you're not in harm's way. Nothing is physically happening to you. These are just words. And so there's not this level of um, impact that people feel it has on you over time and I think people need to lose that mindset because it's just as important to protect your mental yeah. as it is to protect your body and I don't think we have this big thing I'm in the black community where we don't value or, and protect yeah. our mental as much as we should we consider that a weakness yep. to have a mental weakness the mental and the emotional and the emotional weakness yes I would argue it's looking more important because you know I can get my ass beat tomorrow but at the end of the day I still know who I am as a person but if mm -hmm. somebody is mentally is systematically degrading me and humiliating me and breaking me down mentally and emotionally, I would argue it's a lot harder for me to come back from that than somebody mm. beat me up. That's know, true. Day. Like, and I, I agree with you said, we don't take it as serious because we look at it like, well, you know, in my day, you had to fight every day. Like, well, shit, bitch, I'm fighting every day too, shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you do have, like, there is no just, and I really want parents to hear this, it ain't no just turning off no more. I have seen it firsthand. I've seen, and this is not a high school college the issue either i've seen little kids i worked at an elementary school for years i have seen elementary school kids do this to each other. oh yes but yeah. they're making up rumors about the person and they're making now they have these ai things or they're doing ai movies and videos about the kids doing things and saying things and it's horrible because the child you can't even if the child has no access to social media even if you cut off their access to everything they still have to see it and hear it and they may not hear it and see it at home, but they're hearing it and seeing it on the bus. 
You're hearing the scene in class. You're hearing the scene in school. There have been situations where I've seen, like, I worked at a school that was, um, it had a very, 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 very small population of black kids, like very small, like probably like maybe 15 black kids in our school. Um, and it had a really huge Latino population. And, you know, whatever, it was fine. But because there was such a small black population, the black kids got bullied a lot at that school mm-hmm. um, in a lot of really racially harmful ways. And it would be, you know, the parents would be like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's just kids being kids. Like, no, it's not just kids being kids. No, yeah. No, that's something that they're learning. Like, these are little kids. This is an elementary school. They shouldn't know certain slurs. They shouldn't be like calling each other, calling these other kids monkeys and making fun of their hair texture and the, the food they eat and like drawing racist pictures and caricatures. That's not like okay. And it's not like, oh, you know, oh, the, the teachers can see it. If they're sharing these things on their phone, you know, what are we supposed to do about that? We can't, okay, so you can't use your phone to school. What you do at recess? Mm. What do you do after school? Yeah. Like, what do you do when this when this child says something to you in the bathroom? Like, it, it doesn't stop. Like, and so I just think that, like, I know they have created some laws around cyberbullying, but I think that it needs to go a lot further. And I know the reason why it won't is because the people disproportionately hurt by this are black children. Are black children, right. And they are do. I, I was following that story. I guess they were, they had all of the, um, leading CEOs of the social media companies up on Capitol Hill and they were giving them this they were trying to like give them the speech about how they're you know detrimental to society and how this is going on and blah 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 and how they need to be held accountable and and you know, I, I don't like the fakeness of it because y'all really don't give a damn about you know what I'm saying what's going on with this. It, right. You're trying to but I do think that if you really want to do legislation I I'm not opposed to a bill that kind of limits yeah. the access to social media apps and webs for children of a certain age. Because I do think, or yeah, limited access to that. Because I do think you need to have a certain level of mental competence yeah. to be able to not only handle, but to navigate what it looks like when you have to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? And I think when you start younger with that, yeah. It's harder. It's harder, and you also create this space, like we talked about before, of this being normal, of this being okay to do to to other people. And so... I mean, I feel like that doesn't work, though, unfortunately, because I feel like we are people, we're creatures of... Habit. Not not habit, not even repetition. Mimicry, right? So we we repeat what we see and what we hear. Mm -hmm. So if you are a child, it don't matter if you can't get on Twitter. If you see your parents doing it, you see your other siblings doing it, you're going to do it. And I feel like trying to limit kids from having a voice on social media is not going to stop this. Mm. I think what stops it is eliminating the shit when you see it. I think it's having the safety guidelines and safety parameters that they used to have on Twitter and social media that have now been eliminated because some person decided that they it's too woke right like they used to have filters in social media safety and guidelines on twitter and instagram and places like that um and then what happened was a lot of people decided oh you know that's too woke that's too you know it shouldn't we should have free speech we should have this 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 they definitely want to go to free speech for as their reason and and, and that free speech quote-unquote just innate open the doors to enable a lot of hateful really fucked up rhetoric to be you know put on social media and a lot of these quote-unquote lawmakers and social media managers allowed that to happen and they encouraged it to happen so i think now it's kind of like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube like you let this happen right there used to be you couldn't curse on social media you couldn't say certain words on social media you couldn't put up certain images on social media they were those were there for a reason and then y'all made y'all got rid of all that because y'all saw that it was helping people of color and you didn't like that you saw that you can't call people faggots and things like that because you were starting to get backlash from it and so with these guidelines and markers in place to to make that not be a thing you were like well that's limiting my free speech i should have to reach and say what i want to say i should be able to say i want to be as anti-semitic and anti-black as possible and you can't tell me i can't and so you got rid of all these things these preventative measures and now your kids are suffering and now you're like oh no 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 well the kids just don't need to be on social media well that's not the answer right because what happens and i think we've seen this happen 
split everything in this country. Whenever they start putting laws in place, whenever you have allowed the government to decide or determine what is proper and what is appropriate, it is always going to be turned on Black people. And it's always going to be turned on people who don't fit the norm. We see it happening with the transphobia. We see it happening with these anti-LGBT bills. We see it happening with these anti-diversity bills. And I think that's what's going to happen with social media. I think that a lot of people who don't fit in, quote unquote, they do turn to social media because that is where they find those safe spaces. If I'm a transgender kid in Florida and I don't have any other place to be safe, I know I can go on this forum, on this website, on this page and have a safe space here. But if you now ban these safe spaces, because they already started talking about what's considered indecent mm. in this bill. And this indecency is transgender people, drag queens, any type of LGBTQ period is considered indecent for children. Um, anything that promotes uh, diversity space or diverse safe spaces has been determined indecent and those are going to be blocked. Like, So if I'm a little black kid in Iowa and I look to social media as my estate and then you tell me, oh, I can't be on social media anymore or I can't access these pages because they're considered inappropriate for children. Like, I, I just feel like it's a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. So You're I feel right. like the key is not to ban children. I think the key is to make those existing spaces safer for children and not safer as in they can't never see a drag a drag queen or a trans person but safer as in certain words and, and key terms can't be searched or they can't be used on the site i feel like that's the easier way to do it and that's that's but, but that's, that's too much, that's, like, right? that's too much like, and it's the yeah. hardest part because people would be like well if you're gonna ban that and you're saying this is unacceptable right what about my shit that I feel? You know what I'm saying? I just I feel like slurs and hateful rhetoric. I feel like we all know what that is. We, we, like we know, we know what it is. But and it's we the had way. those in place, and y'all made sure that those got removed. Like, and I find that's what I'm saying. That's why to me, it's all this is all just some BS because like y'all put all this energy and in, no the, into the no the no drag deal and the no trans deal and blah 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 blah. So I could have a clan rally. Mm. I can burn an effigy of a, of a sitting president. I can break into a senator's home and bash her husband upside the head with a hammer in the name of free speech. But I can't walk by in a dress because I'm biologically a boy. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, some, I, the, somebody on there said, okay, you guys want to regulate social media industries, but you guys can't do a thing about gun control. And like, what is so, okay. We can't do anything. There's nothing to be done about gun control. Children <laughs> being slaughtered in, in kindergarten jobs. <laughs> can't do nothing about that. But y'all on Twitter talking about you can't say that, you know, black power. What? Where are we going? Right. Like, so yeah, I just think it's a slippery slope when it comes to like these bands. And I also think a lot of these bands are very, very intentional. They're trying to suppress um, the young people. The young people are not stupid. The young kids are smart. Mm-hmm. The young That's people true. are using social media to mobilize strikes and protests they're utilizing social media to showcase genocide and, and that's what it's really about because i said they, they they they're looking at countries like north that. korea and yes. where they have complete dominant control exactly over their media and so mm-hmm. what they see and so and that shit they see the kids on roblox having free palestine marches and they are furious like, and especially like you said this is that new generation yes. but this is how they live this is how they, they exist do everything on if you can media, cut that off by the head they feel like you that's can control the yeah you know they're already talking about they don't want kids to go to vote at 18. why not i think now why they, not they can go to war at 18. They, can go to war at 18 they can do everything else at 18 but you can't you can't go to 18. i find that very interesting because you know that majority of 18 year olds are yeah. opposed to certain things and i think that's what this social media bill is doing too i think that they're trying to say you know a lot of the protests a lot of the tide that has turned in terms of a lot of things that we're seeing in terms of like how we look at the workforce how we look at protests how we look at unions how we look at a lot of uprisings around the world they started on social media yeah and it started from young people on social media it wasn't millennials it was gen z on social media who taught a lot of millennials what was going on and then that's how the tide started turning and i think that the long market see that and that's why they're like yeah we gotta limit this you're not trying to do nothing about child um sexual abuse on social media because if it was <laughs> you would be shutting down on it Oh, we don't want that. And we don't want that, <laughs> right? But they don't either. Right. Because there's a very, it's, it's much, it's it's actually not easy, but there are certain things that can be put in place that can very effectively shut down child sex exploitation. And those things are not being utilized. All right, y'all. We'll be right back to close out this episode. Close it out.
Hey y'all, welcome back. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> we're back and we're black. <laughs> As always. As always. All right, y'all. So we're going to close out our episode. And I wanted to do our breakthrough moment today. Okay, um, breakthrough moment. We're going to discuss um, Reparations Club Bookstore. I don't know. Have you heard of Reparations Club before? No, I have not. Let me Reparations know. Club is a concept bookshop and a creative space curated by Blackness in Los Angeles. It's Black-owned and it's woman-owned. And they're make sure, making sure to showcase all authors of Black, queer, feminist, um, and, you know, a more culturally diverse... I love it. Um, they are uh, culturally diverse population in their books. And I think this is just super important because... Especially considering now and the fight for, you know, mm-hmm. banning certain authors, banning certain books, banning certain spaces, we need to support these these bookstores and this idea of, yes. like, everybody's voice needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very wide collection, especially of children's books that discusses, you know, being young and being queer or being black oh, and just being supportive of that community. And so um, I wanted to showcase this store. They're in Los Angeles. Um, they're at 30... 54 Victoria Ave in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. So if you happen to be in LA and you want to stop by and check out the Reparations Club bookstore, um, yes. stop by there and give them a little holler. Um, yes, yes, yes. And then I also have a bookstore. I want to shout out. Oh, nice. Um, oh, this is also in LA too. It's so funny. Hey. Um, all Power Books. Um, hey. I followed them on Instagram recently. They are a bookstore, volunteer run bookshop and community space. Um, they are also located in Los Angeles. They're on West Adams Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. They also have the All Power Free Clinic and the All Power Thrift Store as well. Um, and so what they do is they are run by a queer community as well. They've been theirs. Um, they're a bookstore. They're open Monday through Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays as well. You can also go to allpowersbooks.org. They do a lot of um, fundraising mm. for like smaller communities that need support. I actually bought my free Palestine t-shirt from them. Mm. Um, and the, the proceeds of that go to supporting Relief in Gaza. So yeah, like they have a lot of amazing work. I follow them on Instagram. It's all power books on Instagram. Um, they do a lot of cool stuff. They have a lot. They have like the people's education program that they support. Mm. The, um, if you buy things from them, it goes to the people's education program. Um, they have organization fairs. They do a lot of community uh, community work. So they're really dope. I really like that bookstore. Um, I bought a couple things from them just to help them with their fundraising. Um, they're very big on like um, you know black power and liberation, and they also support other communities that are going through certain things like Palestinian communities, LGBT communities. Um, they do a lot of work with some Asian communities in the area. So yeah, All Power Books is dope. And so I think we should give them a shout out. And along with the Reparations Club bookstore, I'm going to check them out. I'm very excited to see that. I'm Come on, all power and reparations. And then um, since we're on the subject of bookstores, I always got to shout out Marcus Books. And always Oakland. shout out Marcus Books. If you don't know, this is a Bay Area bookstore based right here in Oakland, California. Marcus Books is on MLK. Where's the address? Hold on. Give it to it. And on the address for Marcus Books. Um, yes. Okay, things if you could look that up for me. I don't think it's it. Marcus Bookstore is located. I'm about to give you the, the hood version. But let me keep the actual <laughs> it is located at 3900 Martin Luther King in Oakland. Um, Marcus Bookstore is a huge, huge, huge part of the community in Oakland. They were a um, space, a safe space for rallies. They did a lot of work with the Black Panther Party here in Oakland. They are mm-hmm. like a historical place in Oakland. They've been um, open since the 60s, y'all. So yeah, they do a like- lot, a lot of great things. And they are one of the few places you can still buy physical media from Black and Brown authors. Mm-hmm. So we always want to support them and try to encourage them. But every time I come out there, um, I try to get a little something from Marcus Bookstore. Even if it's just like a little little, yeah, and, little, like, book a little trinket or something. They always have, they have really cute stuff. They have like book covers and I think I bought my stepmom like a Bible cover from him a few years ago for Christmas. So. SF State, when I went to, when I went to State, they would make us get our books from Marcus Books. Oh, I love that. Yeah, they um, and I was you know at the time I didn't I was like why because they were you know it was a little bit more pricey than the bookstore books, but, but they were like this is where yeah. you got to get it from and that's it. And I was like why shit. But and then <laughs> I got older and I learned why and I was like okay I like that they're being supportive yeah. of this. And shout out to SF State, they were one of the first um, CSUs that had an ethnic studies program. 
<laughs> they sure were. They sure were. Some of they are doing is doing mm. the work. They're doing the work. Okay, get into it. Get okay? into it, okay? Okay, come on now. Scamper your ass on down Scamper your ass down to the Reparations stage. books. Reparations. All, all power books. books or Marcus Bookstore. Learn okay? something, please. Pick up a motherfucking book. <laughs> Pick up a book. <laughs> okay, stop letting your, your, your uh, cultural leaders be non-readers. Oh, <laughs> bam. <laughs> I love it. And with that. And with that. <laughs> We're going to call this episode done. We'll see y'all next time, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Yes. We're back for now. We're back in the back. <laughs> <laughs> back on the next. <laughs> All right, y'all. See you next time. Love it.